0: Hey, do you enjoy Geeks of Grimdark? Do you wish we produce more Warhammer content? Well, check out our ongoing series with this week's sponsor, Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Axel and I have a reoccurring series with host Chris Shipman where we introduce him to 40k factions one at a time. And once you're all caught up with that, check out all the rest of his amazing interviews on your favorite podcasting site today. Geeks with S.H.I.E.L.D.s, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ork and with me as always is...
1: His S.H.I.E.L.D. brother, Axel Wright.
0: How's it going today, man?
1: It is alright. I had some ups, I had some downs, I had a big major down, but tomorrow I'm driving to Lewiston to visit Wretched for like five days, so so I'm Sounds gonna go. Like we're going back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, plus, you know, I finished painting some flash kits, finally, after months and, uh, apparently for my birthday, which was a while ago, but Wretched got me a set of commandos, Orc commandos, Ooh. so we're gonna build those and play Kill Team, and I'm looking forward to it. So, nice. how are you?
0: Uh, resoundingly okay. It's my first day back from my vacation, and I was immediately reminded of why I took a vacation in the first place.
1: So your first day back, and I'm about to go on vacation, I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen, we we we'll we'll eventually get better at this whole coordination thing. Fair. That day's not today, but someday I like to believe.
1: Well, anyway, we got some people that we get to thank,
0: Oric. Yeah. People that we thank that give us a dollar that not only keep us producing this podcast but keep it free to you. There are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Gelly, Marquis, Chris Jimman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vape, Brendan Eng, John Vittles, Kenny, Seth Decker, Don Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Takate, Peter Cook. So there's a name missing there, but I don't know where it is. Anyways, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, head on to our at Patreon.com forward slash Keith 25 cents an episode is a dollar a month, and it keeps the lights on here at the office. All right. And
1: then today, we've got an illustrious guest with us, Shield brother and fave fan favorite. I mean, I'm a fan, so <laughs> introduce yourself. Hey,
2: what's going on? It's Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa, and I have been away from the internets since March, it seems. I think that's when... The last episode I ever posted on my uh, channel went up to let people know why I am the operations manager at the entire engineering firm that I work at now. And uh, that is chaos. I have chosen to spend my free time with my family. And this is the first night I've been able to coordinate with anyone since March. We're recording this in August to do any sort of recording. And so I'm really, really excited to dust off and hopefully bring people more content on my channel. But also people's first time hearing me in several months being on your channel is very fitting. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, I feel special. Huh?
0: You should. And I also just got back from vacation.
1: <sighs> All you guys uh, getting your vacations before me. I see how it is.
0: Hey, mine I took for my birthday. That was the only reason. That, well, that and I desperately needed time away from work. Too much fucking forced overtime. That's fair. All right. So, what are we talking about today, Oric? Well, it is officially the start of Bootober, <laughs> and if, if you're new here, Bootober is what we call our Halloween-themed. Month and it's called Bootober because Slagathor came with that in the first season and we've never bothered to change the title,
1: which only bothers me a little bit since it doesn't follow our <laughs> historical weapons scheme. But whatever, it's
0: okay. <laughs> i know Everything else is with geeks, and then there's Bootober. Like, yeah, sure, we'll use that. Then we'll change it when we think of something later. And we're just like, fuck. Now there's too much shit. To it's do.
1: Tradition at so, this yeah, point.
0: So yeah, we're kicking off Bootober with a special guest, and we're talking about. An idea we've kind of kicked around, but never really landed on, and we brought on a expert. I'm gonna call Chris an expert on this one.
1: <laughs> don't don't do that. That's dangerous. We know that's <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> I no,
0: know. Listen, I, I listen. Okay, I am perfectly fine with you calling
2: me an expert on Catholicism and Judeo-Christian things because anyone that actually is an expert in that stuff that's gonna complain, we don't want to be talking to anyway. That's you know what
0: yeah, I can't yeah. argue with that. That's good. <laughs> the only caveat I will put out is I'm not sure if Judeo-Christian is the correct term. Uh you want the best just one say just say
1: Abrahamic faiths.
0: Today oh, we, that works. Abrahamic faiths.
1: Because that also includes Islam at that point, and it's all just, Yeah. Anyway.
0: That is true. Anyways, we're talking about this weird intersection between horror and Abrahamic mythology and how the true crossover but don't really make any goddamn sense.
1: Now, before we get into it, I want to say something real quick. Uh, There is... I am myself a Germanic neopagan, so my belief system is called colloquially mythology. Does that bother me? No, not at all, because the word mythology means essentially the study of myths, and myths are stories that are usually meant to impart some sort of moral or educational purpose. So when I say something like abrahamic mythology christian mythology judeo mythology that is not in any way disparaging that is just a statement of study of the stories related to this belief just want to be clear because you know i I know some christian people who are actually close friends of mine who might bristle at the idea of the phrase christian mythology and i just want to be you know upfront about what that means
0: I'll be a bit more aggressive and say that's baggage you are bringing with you to this conversation. I am using mythology in the anthropological terms. Wait, these are the stories attached to a particular religion or faith.
2: And And I will say um if people are wondering you know why they would think to have me on, I am, live in the Boston area. It's impossible to grow up around here without being surrounded by religion in some way, shape, or form, um, especially in the generation I grew up in. Um, so my parents, even though one of them was Protestant, Methodist, and the other was brought up Catholic, sent me and my brother and sister to Catholic school. So from the year 1989 to 2000, or sorry, to, to, to 1999, 10 years, I was in um, parochial Catholic school What is really cool about that, leaving out the negative sides, is that as we got older, the professors that they had, instead of it being nuns and priests teaching, it were theologists. And so they, instead of coming at it from a religious direction, came at it from more of a historic worldwide view and went through all religions that kind of intersected. So I found that part of it incredibly interesting, leaving out the all the other baggage that comes with Catholicism and most other
1: religions. So, I will acknowledge that sounds surprisingly progressive from my limited understanding of Catholic school.
2: It it, it really was, um, and I was very, very um, lucky. That was 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. Because um,
1: my, my understanding of what of Catholicism in general and Catholic school specifically basically comes from George Carlin. So,
2: (laughs) right. And it's, it's all, I I think I'm very lucky to be on a coast in a liberal state because like my sixth grade science class taught evolution. And in the sixth grade science class, the teacher literally said, look at, you know, science says, this is how things worked we know that this is completely up against what you're learning in religion class. But this is what science says. Take it, take it as you will. It's well, you just know, like, wow, that's very that's,
1: different. That's great. I mean, I'm a big fan of the idea of exposing kids, especially, but anybody to information, to different schools of thought, even conflicting ones. But you know, I'm an existentialist, so that I'm all about personal choice when it comes to what you're latching on to. So. Anyway, I feel like preamble enough... <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry about that. I just wanted to give people some background. That's all right. But I think yeah. what Ulrich is trying to get at, right, is especially in the West, in the United States, because Christianity is a huge part of our culture, even for people who are not Christian, like myself, like Ulrich and me and 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 Chippa. It it still pervades a lot of what our culture is in good and bad ways. Not this podcast for that. But that means that in fiction, and in movies and, st- and books and whatnot, it is largely been probably the most common go-to for a mythological basis for modern fantasy slash horror kind of genres. I don't or mean, yeah,
0: well, depending on where I you go, but I mean, the intersection of religion and horrors like, foundation of the country. they were telling a story about demons and you know making deals with the devil
1: which can i take a moment here that i'm sure that anyone listening to this is already familiar with this idea but from my understanding angels in their depiction in the bible or i don't know which testament but it's actually more like an eldritch entity full of wings and eyes and i'm surprised and i'm surprised that i haven't seen a a horror movie touch on that idea
0: (laughs) well that's kind of what we want to talk about is catholicism is aesthetically built for a horror movie and some of the more out-there things, but they only ever take the priest's exorcism, god, devil, that's it. Like, there's so much more over-the-topness there that you could be adapting, that you're not doing.
1: I mean, the exorcist killed it, and everyone's trying to copy the exorcist, so...
0: (laughs) Yeah, but even the exorcist, like, did the lightest layer of, all right, we just got priests and exorcisms, and... The closest any show has come, I don't know if either of you have watched Evil. No. It's really good. It's got Mike Coulter in it, playing a very horny priest.
1: Okay, Luke Cage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He has a type, but it leans heavy into demonology and a lot of the pseudo stuff that gets attached to Catholicism that isn't really Catholicism, but works because people go... Well, they got priests, and this sounds like my understanding of Catholicism. So, yeah, no, of course they have a book of demons. Well,
1: that's why we wonder why we haven't had a... I mean, I'm sure there's been an adaptation of Dante's Inferno at some point, but not one that's well-known, to my knowledge. Yeah, mostly the anime. Yeah, I know know about the anime. I didn't see it, but at least I heard about that one. But I figure Dante's Inferno is, from my understanding, a crazy story filled with a lot of crazy horrific imagery that is kind of ripe for a visual medium
0: which again here's the thing i love most most of our big ideas about christianity catholicism everything comes from stuff that was deemed heresy at the time of publishing yes like everything we know about the devil comes from paradise lost which was deemed heresy by the church at the time I,
1: I did hear somewhere that the devil's original incarnation before Paradise Lost was much more that of almost like a, a trickster god kind of character as opposed to I
0: know, don't... Trace, you'd have to comment. I don't know if Lucifer appears in the Bible. Again, it, when people are talking about
2: it, it's all the names, you know, kind of jump around. But I do believe, and I can be broken down if told different, but... Lucifer in the trickster God form is the way that I remember at least from the Old Testament him being depicted in the Bible. I mean if you look at the uh, the last temptation the you know the the thing that they delve further into in the film version but that does happen right Jesus is out in the desert and the devil comes and tries to fuck with him and get him to sin basically is the idea right that's the kind of crap the devil pulls in the bible it's it's far less malevolent evil spirit and more i'm gonna convince you to do something shitty <laughs> that was and that's about like it. the
0: story of Job. Which, yeah that's old testament fuckery but it's not like named as satan it's like oh this is some other nameless demon because again this was a, they, they were building off the people that came before them and lots of spirits and whatnot were commonplace in the Proto, you know, Judeo tribes. Well, not
1: just people before yeah. them. My understanding is my understanding of the current modern day idea of the devil is yeah. that it was taken largely from imagery of Carnunos, who doesn't actually predate uh, the year zero, <laughs> as it were. But the Celtic people's interaction with Catholic and Christian people mm-hmm. happened later on, and then they adapted that the horn gods imagery. So. Oh, there's a little
0: sprinkling of pan in there as well, and like that's what makes this so good for horror. Is it's a grab bag of culture? Ideas.
1: Sidebar. Now I want a horror movie that is is essentially the Ten Commandments, but where Moses is quote unquote the the killer or the the like. We're following someone who just lives in. <laughs> in that city as the plagues are happening and they're dealing with it.
2: Oh, so they have the Ten Commandments as disaster film. Yeah, Yeah. but
1: but if they get even a little further, like disaster horror film, like something like Cloverfield, not exactly like that, but we're like, we're watching people just deal with the repercussions of Ramses and Moses' bullshit,
0: so... That's what I mean. I mean, a lot of horror movies they get, like there's, it's culturally ubiquitous, at least in the West. Everyone knows the story of the Ten Commandments. The reason you can say Satan, Lucifer Demons, is everyone that's shorthand for this guy is bad. Imagery, automatic shorthand. But we're not doing... We we, we keep gestating in the same basic, oh, it's a demon, and he's going to possess somebody. Well, why? Well, because the devil is a dick against God. It's like, okay. Honestly, you could think that when
1: movies that touch on this material do go out of the box, it's really only what their specific demon of choice they usually find some obscure writing like isn't that the idea of the nun that it's some actually obscure demon in some text yeah so
0: and i mean that was cool but that was also hey a large portion of the population has an aversion to nuns For some reason, I wonder what it could be that would cause people to be freaked out by nuns.
1: Well, there's actually something else, I think, going on there, which is when you take the image of something that is inherently friendly and non-threatening, and then you basically paint it in threatening or unsettling lights, it almost, like, heightens the experience. The same thing can be said for clowns and little girls.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and the, the really interesting thing about this whole discussion is horror in 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 I'd say thriller or suspenseful drama seems to be the only genre of film where you can put these specific religious themes in and not have it immediately be eye rolling like you watch you watch a trailer for like a left behind film and you immediately go oh here we go propaganda yada 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 but you see you know the omen or, you know, a movie like that, and you, or even more recently, um, you know, God, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, you know, a film like that, it, it, or The Exorcist, you know, it's played for horror, and we just accept that horror is intrinsically tied to this belief structure, so I don't feel like the movie's trying to beat me to death with the religious side of it, even
1: if it is. I, I yeah. didn't see I, it, but didn't Noah kind of get away with that as basically being disaster flick? I was actually going to Noah say Noah's a weird movie. It's one of the movies on my list
2: um, to talk about, even though it's not horror. The cool thing with Noah is that it is probably the most realistic depiction of how that story is written in the Old Testament, yeah,
0: including, the, in the, including
2: the rock giants.
0: Yeah, the Nephilim.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, and I, I love the idea that Darren Aronofsky, who I have another movie by him on this list – Which, it's horror adjacent. Have you guys seen Pi? No, I haven't. So Pi is a movie about a guy who creates a machine to predict the lottery. I've heard of this. Okay, And he starts going crazy and believing that he's seeing a repeating structure that as he goes and starts talking to priests and rabbis and all these people, believes that he is starting to depict the
1: the numerical name of Jehovah. Like, yeah, and, I think I heard someone describe it as, like, the thought pattern of God or the thought pattern and of And he goes
2: absolutely insane trying to parse it out. And I love... Aronofsky is one of those directors that touches on this stuff, but in a very realistic way. Like, one of the things I loved about Noah is when Noah looks up in the sky and sees the stars, he sees, you know, the scientific depiction of the sky, not like, you know, and all these... It, it, the movie is very it tries to be scientific about the way stuff happens, even though there's rock giants and there's all this other stuff. It's very, it even which shows is, evolution in one of Noah's like fever dreams where God is talking to him.
0: Which you is know? a fun inversion of the whole thing, because when you take them with the exorcist, it asks you to believe two things. It asks you to believe this is the world that you know and exists but also this is the world in which God and the angels and all the biblical stuff is true. Even though those two do not match up and your brain's like, whatever, I'm here for the ride. Let's go. Which is why it's so weird. They don't go, okay, go all in. Do literal angels battling demons and have the demons be these dip into the whole, I mean, revelations is one big acid trip.
1: There are Two things about that. All but- right. One is that, well, I get what you mean. And I would, and I totally would not be against, like, a epic war movie of Angels and, and Demons. I'm a Diablo player, after all, that yeah. basically does that. But The Exorcist specifically was going for something a lot more... Not You missed basically a third condition of what The Exorcist was trying to do, which is make you believe this could happen to you or your children. Because that was yeah. a big thing What's going on there, is this is a regular girl in a regular house and then this happens well, to her so but
0: just also happens to have come out of a time when americans were still strongly catholic yeah like my well, dad has told me stories about that one so you had an inbuilt audience
1: didn't that also but pre-date uh, what was the exorcist release date was that late 60s early 70s something like that that was 73 73 okay and satanic panic was what uh 70 73 to 70 to 80 or something like that
0: It's it's the late 80s. It's like right there. Late 70s, early 80s. I,
1: I really love the film depictions of this stuff
2: in the 70s in particular, because all of them play with the idea of what Ulrich just said, which is this could exist in the real world you think about, but every one of them has the suspension of disbelief and the asking you to question it. I love that the exorcist people in the movie try to have a real world explanation in the omen. They try to have a real world explanation in Rosemary's baby. The whole fear of that is what if your neighbors were just a little bit too nice? And and what if, and then, Oh crap, one of them slipped you a drug and now your wife is knocked up. Is she knocked up by the devil? You know what I mean? And then the movie goes all in and answers that question. But I, I like films that do that. There's, there's a particular one that I, can't love because of how they end it but have you guys ever seen Frailty no never even heard of it so Frailty is a movie directed by and starring Bill Paxton oh Mr. Terminator Predator
1: Xenomorph (laughs) yes
2: and it is I'd say three quarters a fantastic film the idea of Frailty is a kid and his brother grow up in a house with a dad on like a farm where the dad brings people back to the house And the people end up disappearing. And the dad ends up revealing to the kids that he is on a mission from God and has been touched by God. And can see demons. And he brings the demons home and it's his job to kill them. So he takes them into the barn, into this hole and chops the shit out of them with an axe. And he gets his kids in on it. So now his kids are part of it. And the movie follows the kids to being grown up. And I'll just say the movie very, very literally answers if they're crazy or not, and I don't like that it answers that question because it it delves into what Ulrich is saying that I I think it's less interest unless you go full theological like Avengers sized battle sequence with this stuff you end up with movies like Legion. Which just suck. Which, by the <laughs> way,
1: before we started moving away, you asked a question, I wanted to answer my thoughts on it before we keep going, which is this idea of how come when this mythology is used frequently to quote-unquote success, it's with horror. Like, you pointed out that when it's not with horror, most of the time you... Uh, we reject it. Yeah, we reject or it. At
2: the, or at least wide audiences reject
1: it. And there's a word you use. You said preachy, because uh, it can feel preachy. And it's funny, because... Preaching, right, as an act, is something that is really only enjoyable to people who are seeking to be preached to, generally speaking. There are, I think, exceptions. I went to a youth group when I was a kid, and usually these youth pastors are pretty good at being entertaining in some way. But the point is that with horror, I think, it never feels preachy because it almost feels subversive. Even if the story of the horror story is is supportive of, of Christian or Abrahamic tenets or mythology or whatever, it still almost feels like you're getting away with something, I think. Like, it almost has that vibe of, like, we're twisting this thing that is the standard in the culture. Also,
2: true, and if you notice, the priests and the exorcists and the people that are religious in these films they're never depicted as the heroes that are perfect humans they're depicted as having a fault or being a little creepy when the nuns and the priests show up they're always hiding something and there's always some kind of oh i we didn't tell you from the start but we kind of have to stab your daughter in the heart to save her you know what i mean there's this like and again it's all stuff they pull from the bible you know what i mean but the, the bible is very nasty and horrific and not a pleasant thing and so Trying to do it in a in a like preachy way doesn't work in horror because horror really shows it what it's for. Yeah. and what it is is that it's it's stories about a really, really nasty world and trying to help people find a moral and ethical compass to make their way through that world without just jumping off a
1: mountain. You know, you know what I mean? Which so, is why I, I funnily enough, I think the movies that deal with what I'm gonna call Abrahamic ideas that are not horror that succeed don't tend to be obvious about it they tend to be a lot more metaphorical hell i just recently saw three thousand years of longing which is based in jinns and middle eastern mythology but also brings up king solomon and sheba at one point and my girlfriend who is christian not like overly so she just is and she was telling me about how she saw all these related themes in it about like uh, about stories about solitude, about how you got to pull yourself out of your own. I, again, I have not read the Bible, but you know she has, and she was telling me about these like things she pulled out from it, and I thought that was interesting that this movie that I didn't make that connection to, but she found this connection to in her faith, and right, and there's there's
2: storytellers that do a really good job with it, like Scott Derrickson, for example, just made the Black Phone. Um, he made um, Doctor Strange. His earlier films, um, particularly *The Exorcism of Emily Rose*, he is a very, he is a very practicing Christian man, who like like kind of a Kevin Smith sort, who Kevin Smith is also a Christian man, but also knows how to subvert it and use those stories to tell a story that's not preachy, but follows their belief structure. And so, if you've never seen *The Exorcism of Emily Rose*, it's *The Exorcist*, but from through way more of a Christian sight glass. I
0: didn't know that. And
2: it's it's an interesting film, and, and I I really like how um, Sinister and The Black Phone also both have some very big um, Christian and Catholic backings in them, kind of the way Stephen King uses them almost. Well, Stephen King is, is an atheist, but his books always seem to have deep-rooted because he grew up where I grew up. It's impossible to grow up on this coast and not have that be part of your life. So it's very interesting.
0: The Bible is like such immediate shorthand buy-in for audiences of like, okay, this is a demon. Okay, cool. It's it's evil and it wants to hurt us. But here's the question. Why do we keep going back to the well of possession?
1: I would say there's probably a ingrained idea. I will, okay. Side, but related tangent. To me, the most terrifying fictional race in fiction, for me, is the Borg. because From Star Trek. Because the idea of what the Borg... Like, they're not visually as terrifying as even, like, the bugs from Starship Troopers or something. But the idea of what the Borg do to you. They take over your body, and you are a prisoner inside your own mind, watching as your body is not under your control. There is a... A deep-seated psychological horror there, I think. And Possession, while only that tangentially, because usually the possessed don't remember what's going on, but there's different movies play this idea of, like, how does the target of a possession interact with the one being, doing the possessing? I've seen some stories where, like, they almost exist in a mind palace with the demon, or they're being made unconscious and locked away into something like, you know, like Fulgrim in in the Horus Heresy. So, I, I just think that it's latching into this idea of control. It's almost like killing you without you being dead. All your control and all of who you are and your identity is ripped from you as something violent, malevolent, that has nothing but hatred for you and your life and your loved ones. Takes your body to do harm and do horrible things. Yeah, the the of...
2: idea the idea of knowing that you can witness your body or know it, it, it's, it, it doesn't you don't need a religious backing to be scared by that. And the the, the religious connotation just
1: immediately lets it latch on to a certain part of the culture. It also feeds into an idea, and this is me being cynical for a second here, but it, it feeds into the idea of the devout that people who are against them in reality might be being affected by demonic entities or mm-hmm. something like that. So,
0: No, and I'm not saying I don't get why it works i'm just saying like it's weird to me that it's the only one that we really explore even though we've seen things like evil dead kind of take it and go these are like i love the sumerians the sumerians and the babylonians give us so many (laughs) demons and devils that exist outside of you know abrahamic face it's like okay listen these cultures had lots of other things going they didn't really have demons but it's just you know it's the same shorthand, like, well, I know demons from the Bible, and these are from a race that predates them. They must be extra spooky. And it's what? like, Listen, the setup is right there to do a slasher movie with a really weird Abrahamic demon and lean into the weird reliquy of Catholicism.
1: Well, I think it's also trying to, and I'm not saying this is, like, necessarily a great excuse, but I think another thing that it's happening whether people realize it or not is by focusing on possession it's also leaning hard in the idea that these things can be subtly malevolent that we exist in a world where these things are not obvious but they can be devastating to those who it affects a possess like a story of example a big ass red cloven hoof demon showing up and just massacring people could be great fun but there is very definitive that doesn't happen in reality but A story about a guy getting possessed and murdering his family. Well, you could see that and be like, I just saw a story on the news last week about a person who went crazy and murdered their family. Amityville Horror.
0: Well, here's the thing I think, like, just a quick pitch of, you can have both of those if you do, your demon is your cool VFX-driven Cthulhu-esque combined consonants and vowels to make your demon name slasher monster. But make your main character an unreliable narrator. Like, okay, is this demon really doing this, or yeah, is this something in I mean,
1: Doesn't that basically become hereditary at that point?
0: <laughs> yes, kind of. And like I said, you see them kind of going, "Well, we can do, we can play around with these things." But again, when everyone's familiar with the idea of demons and angels and whatnot, and again, Catholicism has so much weird baked in. This is the finger bone of Jesus. And if you yep. rub it on your forearm, you'll have good luck and it'll cure
2: warts. Hey, did you guys know this? This is a weird one. That, uh, and, and maybe you do know this, but did you know on a Catholic altar, You know, have you ever been to a Catholic mass or seen one? Yes. Well, I, I, once. When I was, yeah, my... <laughs> do you know why the priest kisses the altar? No, why? There I is don't. the bone of a saint in a little sight glass in every altar. Oh. And that's what he's kissing.
0: Huh. That's why they have so many saints. It makes sense. Dude. Well,
1: well, Catholic Catholicism also has a lot of that, you know, blood of body and. It's uh, some creepy Harry Potter shit, man. <laughs> I know, and that's
0: just asking to be used for war stuff.
2: It's the well, tons, tons of Catholics. I mean, the, the thing that annoys me is the person that taps into it the most is Dan Brown, and he annoys the yeah. crap out of me. Oh, oh but oh. he. Go ahead. He at least taps into the weirdness of it existing in the real world. Yes. Um,
0: I have a question, will say Chris. will. The guy sold a lot of books off the idea of Catholicism is weird and cryptic and full of symbols. I have, I have a
1: question, Chris. Have you ever seen Helsing? Yes. Okay. So, for anyone who doesn't know, Helsing is this anime about Dracula. He's not called Dracula. He's it's called it's, Alucard. It's, yep. it's very good, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because there's a moment in it that I was like, I wonder if there's any precedent for this in actual Catholicism where there's a character... In that show, which is an anime for anyone who knows, named uh, Alexander Anderson, he's a he's a Catholic father, a priest, but he's one who specializes in hunting down demons and vampires and anything like that with bayonets, because he's awesome. But he gets a, what's called, it's called like the Thorn of Christ, and it's one of the nails that nailed his hand into the cross, and it's, a, it's like one of the most holy relics of the Catholic Church, and he sticks it into himself, into his heart. And when he does, it turns him into a thorn monster because of the crown of thorns. And I was like, this so, is a crazy cool idea. Is there any precedent for this? So I
2: I can't speak to a specific one, and I can't... It could very well be that, like, some Hitler-esque Nazi thing might have created that idea, because there is... If you go, and again, this is just from a guy that, like, you know, hasn't read the damn thing since I was a kid, but there's all these things of, like, if you find the Shroud of Turin, it has special powers. If you find the staff that had the thing on it that stabbed into his side, that has special. And the Nazis were looking for all that crap. Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) And I think the, the nails from the cross were one of them because they, in theory, would have survived where the wood wouldn't have. So, have them having special powers is definitely a precedent somewhere. Something that ties into this, you know, we're talking about this badass over-the-top movie they could have made. Tales from the Crypt made it in 1995, and it was called Demon Night. And if yeah, you haven't seen it's it, fun. it's so much fun. Have you seen this movie? I have not. I love Tales from the Crypt, but so, I have not seen this. So, Billy Zane is like
0: King Demon. And he's, just, and he he's, comes he's to this like the scenery of
2: Yeah. And he comes to like this roadhouse bar thing that used to be a church. And these people are trapped in it. And one of them is like this demon hunter that's existed since the day Christ was put to death. And he has a vial of his blood. And only this vial of Christ's blood can help him destroy this demon. And if the demon gets it, he can control the world. And add into that these weird-ass, mad, screaming George puppets that keep showing up throughout the movie. It's bonkers, and it's its a blast.
0: Yes, I love that movie. It's so fun. But, I mean, that's the other thing. Vampires are built on Christian ideology. And, that yeah. us, and we accept it. It's like, oh, that's cool. I mean, urban fantasy has been milking... Christianity's insane relatively closet for decades. I mean Constantine is built on the idea of Catholicism sure is kooky when you get right down to it. Oh, and Which, hey,
2: there there's there's a movie right there that really leans biblically heavy and still is like this badass, you know, Matrix, you know, time period action movie that everybody loves. But
0: Constantine yeah. is pretty biblically accurate. But that's what I'm saying is you've got this big book full of interesting stories with shorthand that everyone's familiar with in a country where everyone is some degree of connected to this faith and ideology. And that's before we even get into Islam. Like, I was about to say, about it let's do it, let's do it. It's got to be an untapped resource.
1: Yeah, I want a tangent here because yes. the Abrahamic faiths, right, we use those terms because they all they come from the writings of Abraham essentially, but... Judaism, Christianity, slash Catholicism, and Islam are all connected, whether some groups of people want to acknowledge it or not. Uh, But they have a through line. And the fact that in this country, at least, there is a very well-established social understanding of of a lot of the Judeo-myths and the Christian myths... And basically no understanding of the Islamic myths and faiths, Bingo. I think, is a massive lost opportunity. Again, I have no connection to Islam. I just think that as a, as the world's most populous religion, which it is by numbers, it is unfortunate and close-minded and probably does actually a bit of harm to us as a society to not have a better understanding of it and doing simple things like using it in fiction could go a long way towards having a a little bit of a better cultural osmosis in our, in our society. It was great to see in Ms. Marvel, an an entire group of people from a different
2: religion that the show didn't downplay that that's what their background was. You know, It's, it's not horror, but I mean that, that, you know, was a great thing. And it wasn't even like, yeah, the myths and everything were, part of the storyline for the show but the show wasn't and i'll use big air quotes again preachy about it it just literally was these are this is the mythos in the world and the culture and the religion that built these characters and why they act the way they do
0: yeah and imagine, i thought that was really cool imagine how much fun you could have having a jinn be your movie monster
1: well like, careful there because jinn are not directly connected to islamic faith that's more of a That's more of a geographic culture thing versus a belief. Correct. I'm I'm
0: saying though that there's a connective tissue. Yes. Another interesting thing is we've we've mentioned
2: a whole bunch of things where the demons in the non, the non um, protagonists of the Bible or the religious side thing are are protagonists of the film, and I like films that play with the idea of the paganistic or satanistic pull from Christianity is then all of a sudden maybe the good ending for our characters, like a film like The Witch.
0: Oh, if you want to flip it on its let's do angels. Let's have fun with angels. As right. Gonna... Well, that's what I said at the beginning.
1: Right. Where's our eldritch real depiction of angels in any right, movie? Just... down
0: and just slaughtering people. I mean...
2: <laughs>
1: Oh, well, actually, I was... so the
0: end of Red State that we didn't get? Uh,
1: yes, but I right. have a... Speaking of Kevin Smith and Abrahamic mythology, I have I have a co-worker who is a fundamentalist. Now, I never thought I'd come in contact with a fundamentalist in such a... a he's also young, but I told him... We talked a lot about what his faith is, and, and I ended up talking to him about dogma and telling him the that... All other things aside, which I think Dogma is a great movie for a lot of reasons, but it is. the basic idea of God having be, the true nature of God's voice being beyond mortal, not just mortal understanding, but mortal experience, and that it blows up people's heads, <laughs> he was like super into that. And that was like a of great... Course. Yeah. To me, that's a great, like... I keep using this word, but it's the only word I have for it. It's a great eldritch quality of a purely omnipotent being. So
0: dude, mix an eldritch horror with our, you know, Abrahamic horror and oh man. So here I'm saying, here's, here's
2: a it's, cool one that might have been off both of your radars and it, it's it's not horror, but it has some horrific imagery in it. Um and it it ties back into it's not Dante's Inferno. The, the movie's a lot more um positive than Dante's Inferno is. But it has some imagery like that. It's a film from 1998 called What Dreams May Come. I've heard have of it. Heard of I have,
1: I've heard of it. I've not seen it. I know. So yeah. this
2: was this was during the time period where Robin Williams was floating between uh, hard drama and super funny comedy. But a lot of the super funny comedies he was in, he was the straight man in. Like if you look back at like Mrs. Doubtfire his Robin Williams character is a straight man kind of he's, he's goofy but he's not really that funny in it but Mrs. Doubtfire is so he didn't It's funny for like, me
1: the 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 gold standard of Robin Williams performances is Good Morning Vietnam which I think correct, that's what you're talking correct, about.
2: Correct. Correct. But What Dreams May Come is this movie it's just a drama and he's he's a dad think about this for a storyline. He's a dad whose family dies in a car wreck. His kids and his wife die in a car wreck. And he can't handle it, so he kills himself. And the movie follows him going through heaven and hell to find them. Mm. And it's very Lovely Bones-esque. It's very big and, like, very over-the-top, like, like Dante's Inferno views of what heaven and hell would look like. And it's a beautiful movie, and it's so dark, even though it was painted as a family film because Robin Williams was in it. And um, I really think it uh, it deserves to be discussed here because it it like I remember watching it as a kid and o- only feeling like yeah I know what all this means because I go to Catholic school, but it never felt like the movie was coming at it from any sort of religious bent. It just said here's heaven and hell and that's where he is.
0: Yeah. But you all right. Well, question then.
1: That. This feels like the for a lack of better term, this feels like the line, right? And I'm not saying we have an answer for this, but What makes something feel preachy? How can we use the mythology, the idea, the settings, the concepts, the moralities in good ways without crossing into preach territory? At what point does it become preachy? I'll I'll give you you one. The
2: Life of Pi.
1: Ah, The Life of Pi, a movie that I was really into until the final sentence. So So
2: The Life of Pi literally could have left the end line out and it would have been completely non-preachy. But the, did it really happen or did it not? You'll never know. And such is the way with God. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because the rest of the movie is great.
1: They could have literally just left that and just had him, like, take the story and go. Because, again, I've heard someone else say this. It might have even been your brother. But the idea of, like, wait, the moral of the story is believe the fantastical story because it's a better story. Fuck off.
2: (laughs) Right. And again, and, and I was really into that movie if they just left it ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Okay. And that's my issue with frailty. that's,
0: that's yeah. I think that's the secret. Like, don't say, well, my religion is the correct answer. Because I think first where it's like, if it's Christianity, it has demons. If it has Catholicism, they have structure to deal with the demons. But they also kind of imply, like, well, Protestants have demons and Lutherans have demons and Mormons have extra right. weird demons. And, and that's the thing,
2: right? Like, literally, we're talking about dogma. Dogma, when you take all the jokes and the fart and the piss and the Jane, Sal, and Silent Bob out of it, a is demon. a biblically accurate <laughs> right. story.
1: But nowhere, place, or form does the movie ever feel like it's preaching to you. Which is funny to yeah. me because going back and looking at the response to dogma, you know, I've watched the interviews and, and the news clips and whatnot, <laughs> and Kevin Smith protesting his own movie, which is hilarious. Dick it, tastes funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but dogma to me is like. Honestly, I was explaining this to someone, as far as movies about faith go, I feel like Dogma's actually one of the most respectful movies about you Christianity. just hit it. It's super critical of organized religion, but Oh, no,
2: your word, your word right there. It's faith. Faith-based films can be non-preachy. Organized religion-based films, it's the difference. When it's about faith, and you can have multiple characters that use religion to be faithful... And don't go, and you have to be faithful, too, or you die. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But you're right,
1: Dogma is a movie about faith. At least that's how I felt. Like, Dogma felt well, like it became very... There's literally a line that Chris Rock says somewhere near the end, or maybe in the middle where he says, like, it's not about what faith you have, just that you have faith. Bingo. And that struck me very hard because I'm technically an omnist. And I was – because the movie criticizes the Catholic Church up and down, but it still has Alanis set be God. So (laughs) – Yeah, Yeah,
2: and it's not unambiguous about that. She is God. Like, that's it.
1: Yeah. I mean, my favorite favorite movie that uses Judeo-Christian Abrahamic stuff is probably Mother. But Mother is –
2: Oh, gosh, yes.
1: I don't even know how to frame Mother in this discussion, so... I oh, don't no, Mother's, Mother's pretty damn biblically accurate in a very obscure way. Yeah, but it's the fact that it's, like, it's not even, like, utilizing setting and metaphor as much as it just is setting and metaphor. Yes. So, I don't know, that because that, it's not a horror movie, even though the trailers made it out to be one. No, it's
2: a perpetual motion machine of weirdness.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that one, and maybe
0: that's the problem.
1: Yeah, but yeah. that one I felt like didn't feel preachy basically solely because it's extremely critical. Whereas I say dogma is extremely pro-faith, anti-religion. Mother felt more like, this story is insane, and this the characters in this story are insane. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. I oh, don't know, maybe that's the problem. It's like The only people that are doing anything with the weird biblical elements are the fringe kind of artful, I want to, you know burrowed down to what this means and the urban fantasy of i need a cheap wholesale mythology christianity's got one for me
1: it doesn't help that people that the movies that tend to be most blatantly abrahamic are also the ones made by people who are trying to be preachy who are making you know yeah kind of movies and they just they create well, a vibe that you don't want <laughs> anything to do with. We've skirted, we've
2: skirted around it, but the, the perfect example of how this goes wrong is the Passion of the Christ. Mm, okay, and 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 and, and, le- and to to do a thing, since I'm tied to someone who's talked about that movie a lot, I will just say, I have never been so torn on a movie because from this is this is the Mel Gibson conundrum. The man is a great filmmaker. I'm never going to take that away from him. The Passion of the Christ is a brilliantly made technical film. It gets everything it could possibly get wrong while still depicting things very biblically
1: accurate. I have not seen it, but I've heard about it my whole life. And I feel like no one ever lampooned it as... Harshly or possibly as correctly as South Park did. <laughs> Correct.
2: And and so the thing is, right? I'm 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 putting it in this list because it is it is as it should be. It is framed as a horror film. The story it's telling is horrific. And it really nails that part of it. You know, when when, when Jesus gets when Jesus gets his ass handed to him, it's Sam Raimi evil dead level of violence that that they throw on the screen problem is it's being made by a very racist gentleman that hates Jewish people. So all of that's there too but the Bible is kind of, especially the New Testament, a thing that really doesn't like Jewish people very much if if you read it as it's written. But the Passion of the Christ problem is that the film gets the whole point wrong. And this is where preachy and can be used to be militant is, is is a problem for me. Because Kevin Smith is not telling you how to be religious or how not to be religious with dogma. He's just, he has a character that says, have faith. That's the only preachy bit in the whole movie is he goes, I think having faith is a good idea. Whatever it's in, do it. But to me, that, that's the only thing is the passion of the Christ is a story about a guy who is put to death because he says he is the son of God. If you leave out anything else with angels and demons and all this other stuff, then it's a story about him coming back to life and telling everybody it's cool. (laughs) That's, that's literally what you're supposed to take away is this was to prove a point that people can be so awful and hateful that they will kill one person for saying they are something so innocuous, right? Just like I am the son of the person that made all of you and I'm here to show you love. He's showing us love, kill him. they kill him and then he goes, those people that killed me, let it slide. like it was all here to tell a point. The movie does not end with Jesus coming out and going let it slide. The movie ends with the Terminator score kicking up and Jesus is rebrought back to life corpse walking by the screen with a death march playing. The movie ends basically telling you, get out of this theater and go kill all the Jews. That's literally how the film ends.
1: I never heard about that part, but again, I've never seen it. But that it's sounds... really fucked up. That sounds like, very tone deaf. It
2: does not... It, and the problem is, right, tonally and visually, its depiction of the devil is really cool. Like, the devil is just this black cloaked, um, could be a woman, could be a man, creature, screaming and, like... In, in, in when this when jesus doesn't take the temptation and all of this it's all really cool and Gibson definitely got the visual aesthetic of it and then he he misses
1: the point of this is a story about forgiveness well to be fair and i'm not that's not the right phrase uh to to add to the people's exhibit a as it were i've thought about that in regards to the actual religion for a long time like from my understanding as not a christian or catholic person but everything i hear about jesus is that jesus was a guy who was preached forgiveness turning the other cheek uh love all these things and then to listen to sometimes some of the most hateful angry people try to use the that book to justify their hateful angry non-forgiving rhetoric
2: well they 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 take they take away from it that because we are the chosen ones from Jesus, which if you read the Old Testament, the chosen ones are technically the Jewish people, but whichever way. But we are the chosen ones, and so it becomes this master race, we're better than you thing. And they take away the, well, it doesn't matter how shitty my life is because God says I'm better than this guy.
1: Yeah. it's that's not, not what it's saying. Yeah, which not to get preachy myself, need... but I always was like – wasn't one of Jesus' best friends a prostitute? I mean, he seemed yes. pretty chill.
0: So I'm telling you, what we need is a slasher movie where the slasher is an angel who just says unclean, unworthy, and just kills everyone because God is a dick.
1: Which, as you mentioned earlier, if Red State had the budget, we might have got that.
0: So <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, to bring it back to our whole point, like you have this big, fun, crazy coloring book right over here that most people are tangentially aware of. And honestly, you can tell them something's in the Bible and they'll go, that sounds about right. There's a 30-foot skeleton that breathes fire? Okay, sure. There's a talking snake monster that vomits cows? Okay, that tracks. I mean... Also,
1: how do you feel about... Because we have examples of this already, but when fiction does something with an idea like that, and then that supplants the idea of what that was in the culture's mind or in the reader's mind. Example, I'm a big fan of the book Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. The show was pretty good too, but the book was better. It's fine. Adaptations happen that way. There is a bit in it where the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse are all around, and in my brain, the depiction that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman made of war is now the forever, that is what I imagine the Horseman of War is, which is this, like, woman with red hair that becomes fire and bullets for teeth.
0: So. Yep. Nice. Like, I'm just saying, the visual, like, give this to a really creative visual director. Give this to Guillermo del Toro and go, make us a monster? Because he's got his own complicated relationship to Catholicism. Dude, just get a bunch of lapsed Catholic directors. Like, you want to do a horror movie? maybe vent some of that childhood trauma
1: well i mean yes think about how hellboy ties in this whole conversation just
2: oh my god everything yeah. about hellboy if, if 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 you're a lapsed catholic if you're a lapsed catholic from mexico oh boy
0: <laughs> i'm just saying i mean urban fantasy has been running with this ball forever it's time for horror to pick it up and go okay I want to play outside of possessions. Well, then, we so we want
2: we want, a,
1: we want a horrific fantasy film, is what we want. Well, I think fantasy. not even necessarily horrific. I think her horror is a, despite being one of the most successful usages, I still feel I think Ulrich is saying this that it's underutilized with how much there is to work with. Like I like I said, I'm totally on board with the idea of a serial killing angel that could be like righteousness a and judgment.
0: Holy relic got like, yeah. the whole thing. It's I'd a love to see the, the Saint and it's cursed.
1: I'd love to see the Thorn Monster from from Helsing show up in some oh, other yeah. media. So, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like I said, I think things like like Mother or Noah. I again, now that you you framed it as the Ten Commandments as disaster film, I'd love that idea. Just follow two people who have nothing to do with Ramsey's oh, and Moses. Oh shit,
2: Noah's coming to town. We better get out. Yeah, so like literally I mean, to Moses, them, sorry.
1: yeah. But to them, Moses would look like this horrific figure on a hill that locusts come from behind the hill, and they're like, we what, we didn't just des- we don't deserve whatever it's the movie. So, but my question then is, as someone who went to Catholic school who had this taught, what are some? Because my knowledge is limited by the the media that we're admitting is underutilizing this stuff. What is some stuff that you know about or learned about that you think would make for good fiction that you haven't seen utilized that much?
2: Well, it was funny. I knew about the, the shit demon before Kevin Smith put that on screen, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's a real thing. But, I mean, the Old Testament is filled with monsters. The Old Testament is filled with giants. The Old Testament is filled with giant whales that eat people. You know what I mean? And they get trapped in the stomach of... The Old Testament is filled with, like, Greek mythological-style monsters that, you know, are kind of downplayed for the more humanistic story of Jesus in the New Testament. That stuff kind of falls to the wayside until you get into Revelation. And, and Revelation's where the eldritch-style <laughs> stuff comes
0: in, right? Where it's it was just like, written what by the... somebody on acid.
2: <laughs> yeah, ex- no, that's literally—it was written by multiple people on acid, I think, is the, is the way it went down. But, I mean— you just got to tap into it. The demons are, you know, a lot of them are huge in like uh, the way that they're depicted is not, it, it's depicted in more of a um, HP Lovecraft style thing where it's like, you know, you hear a tentacle leg or a snake, you know, the fact that the devil is, is a serpent a lot of the times, right? You hear him mentioned as a little serpent. And then sometimes a giant serpent creature that walks, you know, it, it it's all, very weird and what's really cool about it that i think is a really untapped potential is i would love to see a movie that did a story that was written in different books because if if you've never read the bible you especially the new testament if you read matthew mark luke john they're basically telling the same stories as they were told to them or as they were witnessed by so them so like rashomon <laughs> yeah. Rashomon or hero, you know what I mean where you can almost get like a Okay, well this guy was more of a realist, so he's going to describe it as okay, you know, my buddy went crazy and tried to stab his kid to death and then I came in at the last minute and he said that was God stopping him from killing his kid. And then the other guy goes, "No, God came as a goat and told me not to do it." You know, and then the other guy says, "No, nah, it was a burning bush talking to me." You know, I mean all the so I think there's some really cool untapped potential in delving into the Don't take this as wholesale. Take it as a myth. Take it as what the way I've always taken it is their stories that were either told or written in a way to prove a point that didn't necessarily happen. And if they did, they were embellished upon a lot. And I I think that's the kind of stuff that I'd like to see put on screen. The stuff that treats it with a little bit of respect, because there's no reason to disrespect something that isn't trying to hurt you. Like, you know, someone, um, you know, adapting a Greek Greek myth, I'm sure there's plenty of people in Greece that were terrible human beings that believed in that stuff. And yeah. we immediately want to jump on Bible thumpers as awful people, and a lot of them are. But it doesn't mean that those stories aren't ripe for storytelling. Yeah. And and so I've, I've just always wanted to see some, like Noah's really the first time I've seen a dark Old Testament story really be done justice since maybe the Ten Commandments. Where the Ten Commandments, I mean, when's the last big budget blockbuster you saw that tried to do a biblical epic? Yeah, I mean, right, it doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, besides Noah and Prince of Egypt, which are two of the the best. Well, I haven't seen Noah, I just heard good things, but Prince I know of Prince Egypt of Egypt is, is a, is a better
2: version of the Ten Commandments. So yeah. yeah,
1: but you know what's funny too, as a as a quick tangent, I'm a major Superman fan. I didn't used to be. When uh, when I was younger, I think I, I got onto the bandwagon of Superman is boring and bland and whatever. And then I got older, and I think a lot of that cynicism sloshed away, and I started seeing Superman for a lot more of what he is. And part of what's really interesting to me about him is the the Moses parallel. Like everyone always wants to make him yeah. Jesus, which nope. to me doesn't make sense. He's supposed. To, if you look at his creators and his origin story, he is much more of a Moses idea, and. So I feel like he could be a great avenue for telling judeo stories just just superman them up and you can easily like I mean I'm betting that there's an easy way to tell the story of the golem but with superman. So. Right.
2: No, you know and you, another thing I would I've always wanted to see Genesis depicted on film.
1: I've always wanted
2: to see the first humans existing in the perfect utopia and what it, like but tried to be done like do it note perfect to how it's written, but do it in a I won't I don't want to say an ultra realistic because I, I do it like a fantasy film, you know. But like treat it with respect and go okay, this this is what this would look like if we actually did this story seriously. Like you know, there's this snake that tempts them to eat an apple and then they get cast out. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, and you I can think of a few. Like, I can think of a few movies that have touched on it, but that's not the same right. thing as telling it as a as a movie, certainly. So. Exactly.
2: i just find the stories are fascinating you know what i mean because they're especially trying to think about the people of the time and who they've been
1: filtered through let's take the genesis thing real quick and just off that think about just the sheer number of ways that you can tell the eve's temptation like you could tell it straightforward as a all right the snake just just basically tricks her in temptation or what if it's you could tell, like, maybe her and the snake are friends. they become friends over a long time because Adam's a dick. Or you could yeah. tell in another way where, like, God is literally, like, setting up, like, a trick puzzle for them and Lucifer is revealing the truth of it, which would be closer to, like, the Lucifer show and how that yes. depicted with Eve. But yes. I'm saying that, like, just that simple interaction of Eve as a character, you can do that in so many different ways, I think. So.
2: And th- that's the stuff that really gets me from those stories is there. All of these stories, and I think, you know, to answer Ulrich's original question of why do we always go to the humanistic part of it? The person being possessed, the person being affected is, that's how these stories were written and told. It, was, it wasn't a, somebody yeah. saw a giant bearded guy come down and, you know, shrink into a tiny person and have sex with a lady and put a baby in her belly, and that's Jesus. She was told by an angel that she was now pregnant and it was all about her and her personal journey and less about the celestial beings because if the people really were interacting with them, if you follow like the way Kevin Smith or the Lovecraft depiction of it, they really can't process what they're seeing. So they have to make it humanistic to tell the story. They they have to make it
1: based on something they can process. I wonder if that's why the, the, the Mary figure is as prominent in South American Abrahamic faith as she is.
0: Ooh, we didn't even touch on that. But I feel like we have gotten lost, not lost in the weeds. We have plumbed this greatly and deeply without even touching on a lot of things, like the whole South American interpretation of, you know, Abrahamic religions and how that gets flavored with their culture and the fact that we're still waiting on a good La Llorona story, which... That's its own weird yes. intersection
1: of things. Was Curse of La Llorona bad? I didn't see it. Oh, Curse of
0: La Llorona was terrible. <laughs> right. There's
2: another La Llorona movie that came out right around the same time that's better,
0: but they're mm, that's both on Okay. But, anyways, we have talked about this at great length. I think we answered the question to an extent. I guess what I'm saying is I want to see some real crazy, batshit horror movies that use the cultural shorthand of the Abrahamic faiths to tell their stories.
1: Yeah. Well,. Anyway, as our resident expert, Chippa, do you have any concluding thoughts? I just think this was a fascinating discussion, and I wish we had a production company so we could make this movie. I would totally go all in on several. Of th- I I'm gonna lean into my disaster movie Ten Commandments at this point because it was my <laughs> the first thing I, I thought th- of. Imagine but... <laughs> imagine Ten Commandments, but like King of the Mo- Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh, that's great. Anyway, it's at this point. Because we've basically wrapped up our conversation that we want to hand over the special soapbox to our shield brother Chippa as thank you for coming and talking with us where you can plug anything you want to plug. Oh, I love you guys so much. So again, this is who
2: I haven't done this in a while. But for those of you that do not know who I am, which if you don't, I'm really, really happy you're hearing me because these guys put out great content and are way more consistent than I have been. So if you're hearing of me, thank you. I make a lot of stuff. I have a whole bunch of things under the umbrella of the Chippa Made This. You can find them by going to the Chippa Made This. I think it's ChipmanBros.blogspot. I don't even remember what it is anymore. .libsyn.com. Just search the Chippa Made This. You'll find it. Um, I have four different podcasts. They're Creating Geeks, the Talkbuster podcast, which I'm hoping is going to have a lot more content coming up because there's a new blockbuster show coming out on Netflix. And the Blockbuster Video official Twitter account has been posting stuff. I really hope it's not just NFTs and they're actually going to be doing something fun. But it's probably NFTs. I also do the Chipman Brothers tangent with my brother Movie Bob, where if you've ever heard of him, I do a podcast with him. We shoot the shit like I shoot the shit with these guys and just have a grand old time. And if you love hearing me talk, there's also Shooting the Shit with Chippa, which is just like the Chipman Brothers tangent, except the guests are not my brother. These guys, um, Axel and Ulrich, have been on that show a lot um, as I've been on theirs. I also do Hopped Ones, which is a beer drinking and um, Q&A show, very similar to the Hot Ones Spicy Wing Challenge show, except we drink 10 funky beers. I believe I'm currently editing the fifth episode of that. I also do This Made the Chippo, which is going through every year of my life and talking about the films and events that happened those years. What I love about doing the early years of my life is I don't really remember these things. So it's cool to go back and go, wow, that happened in my lifetime. That's pretty cool. And I think as we get closer, um, we're going to learn more. And I also do Chippa in the third person, which jumps between being on YouTube and TikTok because I'm now a 12 year old girl and use TikTok (laughs) from time to time. No offense to 12 year old girls. That's more offense to me being a nearly 40 year old guy and somehow not understanding what a tiktok is but people seem to like the stuff i put on there so if you enjoy any of that and you want to go to my patreon patreon.com slash the chippa i would love to have a dollar or two of your hard-earned cash to keep me having a reason to do this kind of stuff instead of just focusing
1: on my day job all day long i love you all thank you and I still think we should do a hop one sometime, Chris. <laughs> we have
2: to, especially if we do it with all, like, bourbon or something.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> when I finally get uh, over to visit you, we make that happen. If you
2: come in person, it has to happen.
1: All right, I'm going <laughs> to work harder to make that happen now. So, anyway, it's at this point we move into our suggestions of the week. These are things that the three of us individually have just been into or have seen recently or have engaged with recently or even... Just whatever, things we want to share with people. For example, this last weekend, because I go to the movies every weekend, gotta make use of that Regal Unlimited to make it worth the money, I saw 3,000 Years of Longing, which, according to the box office, if you're listening to this, you probably didn't see. And it is a movie that, admittedly, I didn't see any trailers for it for a long time. I only went and saw it because there basically was nothing else playing in the theater that I had a large interest in. And it's Tilda Switten is this narratologist, this person who studies stories. She goes to Istanbul, you know, Turkey, to give a conference. While there, she goes into this bazaar, and she finds a bottle, and when she takes it back to her hotel room, she opens it up, and there's a chin inside, played by Idris Elba. Now, that makes the movie sound like it's one thing, that it really isn't. It's not really like an adventure, Aladdin, Genie, Three Wishes thing, because she's a narratologist. She studies stories. She knows every wish story that, like, exists. So she's super skeptical about the idea of three wishes. So then the djinn starts telling her stories about his life to basically get her to understand him and that he's not going to be a trickster god or a trickster genie and screw with her. And so the movie hinges largely on Idris Elba's ability to hold your attention as he tells a story. And, yeah, Idris Elba can do it. So worth watching
0: i think everyone that's a fan of this podcast knows of my love of the amazon series invincible and recently i picked up the first omnibus of the comic and after my wrist recovered from lifting that doorstop i started reading it and if you like the show you're gonna like the comic because it's enough like the show that is like the things you like there but the subtle difference is what makes it really fun to read And I don't really know how else to pitch it other than if you like the show, you're going to dig the comic. It is well worth of the read.
1: And if you out there don't know what the show or the comic is, it's basically superhero story like DC Universe. But with the gore and the kind of darkness ramped up pretty high, unlike the boys, there's less of a focus on the capitalistic societal thing and more about like just the dark realities of being a superhero. So in like,
0: the comic kind of leans into that, but it's, I don't know. I can't really s- tell you what it's about without spoiling things. So I'll just let Chris roll us into the next one.
2: Thank you. And I was going to start also by saying, if you need any other reason to see 3000 years of longing, it's a George Miller film. So it's at least going to be interesting. Yes. George Miller is one of the only people that I know whose filmography can be. What have you done? Well, I made Mad Max. Yep, okay. And um, Babe, Pig in the City. Uh, okay, and Happy Feet. <laughs> and 3,000 Years of Longing. What What is wrong with you? Oh, and um, Lorenzo's Oil. Because
1: why not? I heard a different reviewer describe him as literally a director who does whatever the fuck he wants, and it shows. Ex- exactly. Um, My movie, even though it it's
2: a popular thing and one5 five billion dollars worth of people have seen it um it was a movie that i was very lukewarm on seeing i do understand why people like tom cruise so much people love showing up for the mission impossible films i get it i have a really really hard time talking about an episode speaking about toxic religion i have a hard time parsing tom cruise because I can't help but think that when I pay money to see something he does, that money goes to Scientology, and that makes me really angry. But at the same time, the guy picks really good film projects to work on a lot of the time. And I like to joke because it does have this really, really preachy Tom Cruise as like a disembodied head at the beginning, thanking you for coming back to the movie theater to see him, which is really gross in the time period that we're in. But but I, but I get it. It needed to happen at some point. But I saw this at a movie theater uh, that was a drive-in. So the joke was, seeing it the way Tom Cruise intended, since all the ads were made specifically for IMAX. And I saw it on a projector screen in a parking lot. Top Gun Maverick is, in my opinion, as good as you've heard. It's probably in the top, if not the best, legacy sequel ever made. It follows what worked for films like creed shows like cobra kai where you can tell the people involved are passionate about making more of this they're not just doing it to make a sequel so all of the things that should be groan inducing like think star wars force awakens if you weren't a huge star wars fan so you weren't happy to see it all the like winky callback stuff they do all of that volleyball they do it but what's up volleyball (laughs) <laughs> yes there's volleyball but but they do it in a way that feels organic to the story of this film and only if you had just watched the original top gun right before it would it feel like it was a lift from the old movie it it's its own thing it's incredibly entertaining and i have not seen you know when when you see a stunt or a special effect done that there's there's no possible way it was done anything other than practical. And you know that, Mm -hmm. but it also looks like that. It looks effortless. Like, it's like, wow, it almost looks cheap because it's not a big Marvel special effects sequence. It's just two planes flying really close to each other, but Holy shit. They got the camera trained on the actor who, if you didn't know the actors are actually flying the jets and they are in control of the cameras (laughs) <laughs> because well, they're filming themselves. There's no way... It's,
1: okay. I understand the, the reticence about Tom Cruise. I get it. But there's one thing you can't fault the man for. It, it's he commits heavily to what he does. I remember watching this interview. I don't know who was talking. It was someone who worked with him. They didn't work with him. They just had dinner with him. And he was telling a story about doing the... Uh, the propelling from the tallest building in Dubai in whichever Mission Impossible that was. Four. Four? Thank you. And... Apparently, according to Tom Cruise, he had wanted to do that for years. And then finally, you know, he was getting rid of this movie and he called up, like, a stunt the stunt guy and he went, okay, I want to do this. And the stunt guy went, no, you can't do this. And so then Tom Cruise fired that guy and got another stunt guy. He was like, okay, let's figure out how to do this.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I and so I also heard in making this film that he held the tightest COVID protocol sets in Hollywood. And that's really surprising coming from a guy that does not believe in vaccines per his religion. And and so apparently he, because he also is really good at working, did his job.
1: Well, I (laughs) will, I will tell you as a, as a, a very, very tangent. I grew up with someone from the Scientology church, it's a long story, but yes, they don't believe in vaccines, but they do believe in, in illness. They just believe that the way to deal with it is not through vaccines. So
2: Correct. I just, I, I give, you know, someone that, you know, you could see being the, it's cool, it's cool, we just want to work, instead was the polar opposite. Yeah. And like, so, I mean, it just, it, it all came through. You could tell how committed he was. Val Kilmer is in it, and they worked Val Kilmer's real life disease into the character. I thought that was really cool. Um, so he's able to be in the movie but not speak a lot, which was very cool. It's just a good movie, and and you know, I can't do any like I was very lukewarm to its existence, and I've been recommending it to everybody I see, and so that's that's where I'll stand.
0: All right, all right. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on and talking with us. We always love having you. on. We'll get you back on some more in the intervening months. Woohoo! And thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. Do all the things the podcast algorithm demands of you because without it, we too will disappear like the Sumerian gods that birth so many nameless.
1: And thank you for listening to us, whether that be on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or the firesidelines.com or maybe even on Spotify where you can rate us and appease whatever the Spotify gods are. <laughs> maybe they're Sumerians, I don't know, but it helps.
0: As always, this has been Lord Commander
1: Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright.
0: Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.